You're listening to Brick to the Future, the property investment show for everyday Australians. We cut through the white noise so you can minimise risk and make smart, informed investment decisions. If you're after tips and strategies while building a property portfolio that suits your lifestyle, you're in the right place. Oh, great to be back again. Cam McClellan here with uh, Matt Lewison. Matt, how are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Cam. Good to be so, back. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Um, we've had a barrage of emails. I know you had and I have of uh, questions really about, um, and this is following a webinar we had with a number of our clients talking about their investment journey. And I think once people hear those investment journeys and the people's fear and what got them across the line investing and then subsequently how the journey's uh, been along the way, people start getting a bit of confidence back in their, uh, the way they're thinking and they're just about to jump into the investment world and all of a sudden people get this, which is natural, this uh, feeling of, oh my God, what mistakes could I make? So I, I don't know how many emails, I can count them up, but um, the amount of emails I've got this week saying it was a great webinar, um, but saying what mistakes did you make or what mistakes possibly could we make? And, and which is totally understandable. So I thought we, uh, we might talk about uh, investment mistakes today, Louis, if you're uh, happy with that. Sounds good. And uh, subsequently, if anyone does want to get a copy of the webinar, email me at cam at opencorp.com.au and I can get you a copy of that, uh, that webinar. It's a, it's a ripper one to uh, read through, but I thought I'd just um, spike up a number of different mistakes, Matt, and we can just talk through and they're in no random order. Um, they're just, uh, just they're, these are, some of these are actually in my four-year-old, the property investor, but I thought the, uh, the biggest one is um, buying property close to home. Yeah. You know, and then, so you can drive past it is uh, probably one of the, uh, the, the largest ones out there. Uh, to talk us through the concept of why that's a natural thing for people to do, but why that's also one of the biggest mistakes you can make. Oh, look, it's like if you look at the investment market, and we obviously work on market area property, you want to be in the right market first, and then you get the area right, and then, then you worry about the property. I mean, what's the chances that the place that you live today and you or that you grew up or have spent the last 10 years because it's a great place to live? What's the chances yeah. that it's also the best place to invest? Yeah, might be an okay place to invest, perhaps, but geez, you, you're killing a few things here. You're killing diversification. Yeah. If something happens in that suburb, then both of your properties are going to tank. Correct. Um, and you're also you're missing out on capturing benefits from from different markets, moving at different times, different cycles, and putting yourself where um, the fundamentals are, are going to suit the best. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's funny, isn't it? The concept of visually seeing something is a reason why people invest. And we talked about, I think, last time in the last episode about investing with your mind or your brain and using numbers to invest as opposed to your visuals because uh, a property will not go up any faster just because you can happen to drive past it three times a week. <laughs> but yeah, being 10.5 million odd properties in Australia, um, what's the chances the best one for you to invest in happens to be in your local area? It's pretty slim. All right. Well, I want to knock through a few of these, so we won't go into huge amounts of depth, but uh, self-managing tenants, um, I know they're a pain. I've never self-managed testing, uh, tenants, and <laughs> investing should be fun. It should be fun and boring. <laughs> so just the concept of dealing directly with tenants just yeah. baffles me. I don't know why you would want to do it. First of all, I, I have done it once, actually, I should, should admit. Um. I had a property that uh, Claire and I lived in when our kids were born and sentimental value. When we moved out, we, we held onto it and we rented it to some friends. Um, 
they were our friends until we asked them to move out. Bye bye friendship. Um, yeah. So uh, so yeah, and other I mean, putting putting aside the managing a friend in a property, which has its own issues, like why would you want to have to deal with the maintenance, the all all that stuff? I mean, it yeah. doesn't cost a lot to put in a property manager for what they get get paid. They have to manage 100, 200 properties to get economies of scale to be able to make money out of it. The time and effort that you need to put in, I'm sure, could be better spent on other things. Yeah. And you've got a lot less stress when you don't have to front up to the tenant who and take them to, to tribunal if they're doing the wrong thing. Yeah, correct. The the, uh, the concept of investing should be slow and boring uh, gets complicated when you get three phone calls a week asking, why is the hot water service not working? So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so self-managing tenants, rule it out. Uh, buying at auction, this is a good one. So paying more than everyone else, I know is not a good investment strategy, but um, buying at auction, uh, talk us through that. And, and considering that auctions really only happen in predominantly Sydney and Melbourne. Um, but yeah, talk us through why buying at auction would be a mistake as an investor. I mean, you, again, like the whole concept of an auction is that you've find the buyer who's prepared to pay more than everybody else. And yeah. therefore, if you win the auction, then you've arguably paid more than the market valued yeah. the property at. So um, that in itself is, is an issue. I mean, the, the great thing is I mean, most properties that go to auction, theoretically, are properties that are unique in high value suburbs and some agents use them on, on everything regardless. But um Again, generally where the auction markets are strongest in those kind of inner suburban areas or like the built up areas that are a bit more established, your yields are going to struggle to stack up anyway for an investment. But if you turn up at an auction, you get your emotions kind of carry you along, you pay a bit more than you intended. And um, yeah, we much prefer to be able to negotiate, do things almost at arm's length so that you can get the uh, the best value in your in your purchase as possible. Yeah, no, very true. All right. Uh, how's this one? Asking a real estate agent or a buyer's advocate for investment advice. So you go to your, what's this? You go to your local agent, say if you I'm thinking about buying an investment property, where do you think I should buy? <laughs> they turn around and look at their wall, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Here's exactly. my listings. I'll take you past them. Yeah. Um, yeah, very true. So uh, yeah, I mean obviously if they've only got a very small pool of properties that they're able to to sell and make money from. That's what they're going to to, to recommend to you. And um, obviously, again, it comes back to we strongly advocate for you focusing on the market, the area, and then the property, not the property first. And in doing that, it opens up the the entire country just about to identify where's the best place for you to be investing. Um, and it's not based on a small local area where there might be a dozen properties for sale. Yeah, no, very true. Very true. Uh, Overcapitalizing. People talk about don't overcapitalize or if you overcapitalize, um, talk us through the the most common ways you can overcapitalize um, and how you can avoid it. Uh, Okay. So you can overcapitalize by... Well, generally, it means putting too much capital value onto a property or onto an asset, um, spending too much money relative to what its value is. So I guess the, the first way, and this is something we, we saw really early in our investment um, journey, was 
people who would build something that was too big for the local market didn't they were they were spending too much and they wanted to build something that they would live in themselves at times go it's like i'd love a house with this or i'd love a yeah. smart kitchen with like all the fancy things but they don't get any extra rent for it and in that market if it's price sensitive um, meaning that buyers cap out at a certain price regardless of how good they you could put the Taj or Taj Mahal is not a great example but you could put yeah. a mansion yeah. on, a, in a, on a property in, in the wrong area people won't pay the premium that it probably would otherwise deserve in the right area yeah, that's so, potentially along the realm of one of my biggest investment mistakes. I won't go into that a bit later. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that that's obviously one of the, the mistake. But to avoid that mistake, you really need to understand what are things worth? Like what's a three-bedroom house in this area going to get for on a different size blocks of land? Or what will a four-bedroom yeah. house? What will a five-bedroom house? And how many living areas should I put in? And really focusing on what's the right product for that area and again that's why it's at the end of the, the map process yeah that once you know the area then you can work out the product that's going to be the best for that area yeah not design a product that's best for a different area and try and chuck it into that yeah. suburb. and i think if people are buying their own primary place of residence they can get confused if they're buying in potentially established areas which have a lot of different characteristic uh, through the suburb i know my area here um, talking to local people and they've really got no concept of what something should be worth. So the easiest way is to look at land size first, look at bedroom or building volume size first, and then really the aesthetic or the material of the, of the you know, con- construct of the build, build is only really the last 10 or 20% of the value. So mm-hmm. you should be able to tally out what something's value is based off land building size. And then the aesthetic around it is the final piece of the puzzle. Spot on. And I don't know if this is on your list of mistakes, but um, another one that I've seen so many times is people, not just in terms of how big they go, wanting something for themselves, but the aesthetics that they choose for their own taste. Yeah. And we used to joke about my old man having, was it the Lucon, Lucon, Lucon colour scheme? Uh, the, uh, the, uh, yellow, the yellow, the off, off-white yellow colour scheme with their four panel doors. And it was very basic. He had the same materials in every one of these, one of these houses and, mm. uh, and he said it wasn't because that's what his choice was. It was that offended the least number of people. And Very true. I've got a, got a mate who does high-end renovations and he recently um, put a kitchen in. I was chatting to him afterwards and he goes, I felt so bad for the for the guy. I just, I didn't want to charge him for the kitchen, but he picked all the colours. He goes, they're expensive. He picked the best of everything and then just went with some ghastly colour that nobody else will appreciate. Yeah. Um, and that's... I guess when you're going to live in the property, you can make those choices personally, but at some point he's going to be selling it and it's probably scared off two thirds of the market. Yeah. I think that, I mean, while colors all come around, white's pretty safe bet. It's like a, an old purple HQ. They're worth a a mint now, but. uh, Absolutely. So, so neutrals, natural tones. Correct. Don't, don't go anything too, too bright or bold. Yeah. No, very true. All right. uh, Selling to realize profit. All right. Um, so this is actually uh, something I'll talk a, a bit bit later as well about because uh, there's two there's two things as well, isn't there? It's selling to realise profit and selling because you think you've taken as much profit as the market's going to take, and there might be yeah. a softer period. So so uh, maybe it's time to sell up. Um, and I mean, you're going to cop. You know, you've got to pay an agent a commission. You've got to pay your, your capital gains tax. Um, and then if you're just going to be reinvesting because you want to be back in the market, 
you're going to pay stamp duty. You're going to pay like your establishment costs, whether that's um, agents' fees or if it's going to if you're going to be building a game, so you've sold and you're going to build a game. There's there's obviously a lot of other costs that you might incur, like holding costs. So, um, yeah, it's a it's it's one that a lot of people do make that mistake, and mm. we wouldn't say that you never sell. And, and mm. I guess if if you're in a market or if you've got a property that's absolutely underperforming and the future doesn't look good for that property, and I think this is a key, you have to look forward, not backwards. Go, yeah, it might have underperformed in the past. You can't buy that time back by selling. Yeah. So you have to look at what's the prospects for that property in the coming years. Okay. And if if the prospects for that property aren't great and you can reallocate capital by selling, putting it somewhere else, Paying and you're not going to have a big yeah. transaction cost, then... If yeah. you look forward on the next property and go, well, three years time I'll be ahead and yeah. have a much better prospects beyond that, yeah. then you can look at look at the sale. But uh, but yeah, selling just to, to pick up the profits, not yeah. not, not well, the best reason. When when you can uh, create a line of credit or an equity loan and draw profit out anyway, if required. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, failing to have a subject to finance clause or. Um, in specific markets, failing to go unconditional. Yes. Um, so, Ripper one, in a in a soft market, you absolutely want to be doing your DD once you've tied something up, and you should have plenty of choice in a soft market that the property is not running out the door. It's not a queue of people behind you ready to take it off you if you don't put yeah. it. If you don't proceed. So you should be able to negotiate a condition of the contract, such as having time to get finance. And generally in a softer market, you're going to be looking at properties that are available that you can either settle on in 60 days or almost immediately. And if you're going to be building, building on them straight away. Um, so in a, in, a, in a more robust market like we're in at the moment, it's almost the opposite. If you're buying land to build on, it's very rare to get land that you could start building on straight away. It's probably six to 12 months away before you'll get title. There's a queue of people trying to compete for that same property. So trying to negotiate with the seller and say, I want time to go and get my finance puts you to the back of the queue, which is why it's so important to do in hot market, do all of the work up front, get your finance sorted, turn up with confidence, ready to go and obviously that kind of gives you an advantage over the competition because if you can say i'm ready to go i've got my finance i've signed a contract um, and i don't need an excessive finance term then you're obviously going to be favored by the seller um yeah so so it's obviously different strategies for different times in the market um and obviously if if the market's going up and you lose a sale or lose a property because you weren't prepared well that's going to the opportunity cost that you're going to incur is the risk. And we've had, we've, we've seen people in the past six months who have tied up properties and um, wouldn't like, didn't get finance sorted, just continued to kind of delay and delay and um, sellers have taken it off them and kind of said, Oh, I've got, I resell it for $70,000 more today than what it was originally sold for. So that, that buyer has lost, that $70,000 opportunity. And when they go somewhere else to buy the next property, they're paying the premium again. So yeah, uh, yeah, it's absolutely important to uh, 
to get that know what market you're in, I think is, is the, key, the key, key as well. Yeah, that's the key. Uh, buying in regional areas. Uh, it's a, such a, um, such a confusing thing for people at the moment as well, because there is a lot of message about how COVID has changed. And there was obviously a little while ago, a lot of media articles. Tree changes. Flight, yeah. yeah, flight of people out of the cities into the, into the regions. And statistically, that's not, it's not a significant um, portion of people who are doing that. So first of all, don't get caught up in it. And then if you, let's say it was happening, let's say there is a, a flight, and I'm, I don't doubt there's a lot of people who have moved into the regional areas that are kind of just outside the, the metropolitan um, yeah. areas of the big cities like Melbourne and Sydney. Um, when people start moving back into offices and there are more opportunities closer to the city and more jobs and there's a flight of people out of those regions, then you're going to end up with a massive oversupply of property very quickly. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that we always worry about when we were probably a decade or more ago doing a lot of research on some of the, um, some of the regions that were within sort of 45 minutes of the capital cities and the ability of developers to just ramp up supply was just mm. the scary thing that yeah. they could buy a farm get it rezoned and smack yeah. out another 300 houses in the next year and increase the supply of housing for that, that area by 10% a year. Which is a phenomenal amount. Yeah. So that's, um, yeah, obviously something, and we're not, we're not about get rich quick. We are playing the numbers and yep, there might be a regional town that outperforms a suburb where we invest. I won't regret that having sure. missed that opportunity. Because um, it'll be short lived. Absolutely. And I, I would rather invest with confidence and knowing that I'm, I'm going where the numbers tell me you're going to have the best chance of performing, not just in the next 12 months, but the next 24, 36, 120 months. Yeah. Yeah. And look, I, I'm, I can probably be a little, little bit biased here. I'm a country boy, as you know. I love mm. the country lifestyle, but I don't invest in the country. Um, the the one thing that forces house prices to go up is limited supply and land. And the one thing country towns have got lots of is land. So uh, play the age old rule of uh, land appreciates, but only if it's in short supply. Uh, the waiting for a market downturn. Oh, how many times have you heard this over the years that the market's peaked and we're going to wait for it to soften or we're just waiting for it to cool off a bit before we invest? Uh, I've, I've had family members, like extended family cousins who did this, who um, waited for a market to, to have a downturn. This was actually yeah. through, um, must have been 2009. So just after oh, the yeah. GFC Melbourne, they were waiting for the, had enough money to invest. So we'll wait until the market turns down. Yep. And obviously 2009, Melbourne had already started coming out of its effects of the GFC. In fact, Correct. prices hardly barely moved an inch in the GFC in Melbourne. Yeah. And over the next three years, they went up like, I think it was like 45, 50%. Yeah. And they eventually bought in. And yeah, they were paying 50% more than they had of if they hadn't have waited for the downturn. And in, in the end, they realized there was no downturn coming, or if there was, they're better to be in than, than out. So uh, yeah. fortunately, 
they've done very well in the last seven years, eight years since they did uh, end up buying a property. But yeah, I think could have been a, an even 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 better story for them. Yeah, and I know. I mean, I've been hearing people say this for at least twenty years as an investor myself. And I know your dad's been telling me he's been hearing it for close to the last 50 years as an investor. So uh, it's something that we can continually hear, um, but people need to look at history and look at the ever-decreasing supply of land in Australia and the increased population growth that's going to be shooting up over the next few years and realise there's a bigger picture there. Uh, I'm going to give you one last one. Just before you go on, sorry. Yeah, that's all right. We talk about playing the numbers and playing the averages, right? Yeah. And this is something that I'm like, irrespective of like people moving into Australia and so on, there's more money in Australia today than there was 10 years ago. There was more money 10 years ago than there was 20 years ago. In 10 years time, there'll be more money in Australia. There's more money because the government continues to create more money. Yeah. So as long as more money is being created, asset values are going to be going up. And all governments will continue to create money because they want to promote inflation because that means wages go up. It also means that asset prices go up yep. relative to debt. So obviously it creates, let's call it free board yep. above, uh, above the leverage within the economy. So if you think that if you're just trying to play an average, you know, all things remaining equal. And I don't, let's say, I don't know what happened last year. I've been living in a bubble and I wake up today and, trying to decide whether now is a good time to invest or now is a good time to sit on the fence. I've got a better than better than 50% chance the prices will go up this year Correct. just yep. because there will be more money in the economy. So yep. yes, there might be some years that are down, but generally there will be more up years than down yep. years yep. and the trend will continue upwards. So yep. it's, no, it's not rocket science. It's just, literally about averages yeah it's like going to uh not that i bet at the casino and i think i've been there about five times ever and put money on a table and walked out sorry for myself that i did but uh it's like going to bet on red or black and knowing that red comes up statistically at a higher amount than black just because it's uh so trying to pick that perfect downturn in the market yeah it's a it's a gambler's choice um that's a really simple way to put it. Hey, I want I want to um, talk about um, our own investing mistakes. We've talked about general ones at the moment, but I think what we might need to do is uh, have another session. What if we come back uh, next week and we knock out another session? We just talk a bit of depth about our individual investing or business mistakes. What do you reckon? Jeez, are we going to have enough time? Yeah, <laughs> well, joking. maybe. That'd be great. No, all good. Good to see you again, Louis. Cheers. Thanks, Ken. Thank you for listening to Brick to the Future, powered by OpenCorp, Australia's leading property investment specialists. For more information on how we can help you build your financial future, contact us at opencorp.com.au.